Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. Today we're going to talk about what else? Politics, as you can see on the thumbnail. Although it might not be politics as you imagine them to be or think someone else should imagine them to be. And in fact, that's the point of today's video. We're going to be talking about two things that we really like talking about here in virtual legality today. One, corporate messaging. How in this particular instance, Ubisoft is using messaging and going out there and keeping itself in the limelight while also having media try to have gotcha moments against them. And Ubisoft's using that very effectively to market the release of Far Cry 6. The other component we're going to talk about is how this thrust from media to get companies like Ubisoft when they make a Tom Clancy game or they make a Far Cry game to, to admit that they are quote unquote political and the other editorials and opinion pieces that are coming out at major video game sites about games that are, in the case that we're going to talk about in this video, pretty old, Mass Effect, are harming, in my opinion, the ability of game creators, of storytellers to tell effective stories because the application of real world circumstances is effectively being demanded of them in a fashion that in many ways can hurt the ability to tell a story overall. We're going to talk about both those things in this video. So buckle up. We're going to start out with an article from The Gamer that was originally titled, Ubisoft spoke to actual guerrilla fighters, but doesn't want to make a political statement with Far Cry 6. And if you aren't familiar with Ubisoft or the Far Cry franchise, Far Cry is a franchise where you're a single person, you go into a nation of some kind, you kill a lot of villains, you do a lot of stuff, uh, and it's in the modern day. So like the Tom Clancy games, like The Division, like other things that Ubisoft has made, Watch Dogs, a lot of video game outlets have wanted Ubisoft to admit that their games have a political message, quotes around political. And of course, at a fundamental level, telling any given story can have application to any other human experience. So all of these things are political, but I'm skipping ahead a little bit. We're going to talk about the definitions in just a second. The point of this was that that headline, hey, they don't want to make a political statement, was intended as a kind of gotcha. Here's Ubisoft making a game and they're hiding their heads in the sand and not admitting that they're making a political statement with it. If we read this article, we can see exactly what they're trying to do. Speaking to the gamer, narrative director Naveed Kavari talked to us about the island of Yara and the circumstances behind its inevitable arrival of revolution. He wanted to pay homage to fighters from the past while also crafting a narrative that wishes to avoid drawing on inspiration from similar events found in reality. Now, if that sentence doesn't make any sense to you, you are not wrong there. That sentence doesn't actually equate to anything that Mr. Kavari actually winds up saying. He is definitely drawing from inspiration and events found in reality while also trying not to copy them and have a direct application. Here's his quotes. The original inspiration was guerrilla warfare and what is that guerrilla fantasy, which is obviously tied to revolution. When you talk about guerrillas, you think of the guerrillas in the 50s and 60s. We actually went down there to speak to actual guerrilla fighters who fought back then, down there being Cuba, I would assume, and we just really fell in love with their stories. But we also fell in love with the culture and people we met. When we came out of that, it wasn't that we felt we had to do Cuba. We realized it's a complicated island and our game doesn't want to make a political statement about what's happening in Cuba specifically. Beyond that, we are drawing from inspiration from guerrilla movements around the world and throughout history. For us, it felt like doing the island of Yara would help us tell that story while being very open with our politics and inspiration. This quote is almost 
exactly the opposite of what the original headline is, which is Ubisoft doesn't want to make a political statement. What this quote says is that Ubisoft doesn't want you to one for one apply what we say over here in this ridiculous Far Cry game with what happened in Cuba in the 50s or 60s or today. That Cuba is a specific place and we're not trying to tell a Cuba story. We're trying to take inspiration from all of these real political movements, many of which happened in Cuba. And we're making a game that is effectively uh, inspired by Cuba. If you think of those movie title cards that are inspired by real life events or those kinds of things, we've got a Cuba flair. Clearly, Cuba is at the heart of what this game is set to be. And yet... That doesn't mean they're not trying to make a political statement, which is what the gamer winds up changing their headline to. Ubisoft doesn't want to make a political statement specifically about Cuba with Far Cry 6. That's a more accurate depiction, but unfortunately, it didn't get copied over everywhere when that article first went up. Ubisoft, Far Cry 6 is not trying to make a political statement about Cuba. A little bit better than the gamer, but then you scroll down to the end of this article and you see exactly what they're trying to achieve. This follows similar comments from Ubisoft for games like The Division 2 and Far Cry 5 staying politically impartial. However, Watch Dogs Legion creative director Clint Hawking said, I believe that it's our responsibility as creators of culture to talk about stuff that's real and that matters to people. I think Ubisoft is a bold company and has a willingness to explore issues and allow creative teams to engage with challenging subject matter. Read that quote again. I believe it's our responsibility as creators of culture to talk about stuff that's real and that matters to people. That appears to be standing into this IGN writer as quote unquote politics, which is why we're having this disconnect and why the discussion with Ubisoft is both important and absolutely inconsequential in the long run. Of course, if you are a storyteller, you want to connect with people's real human experiences. You want to send a message. You want to make people feel. When you're talking about institutions and cultures, that's going to have naturally a political flavor. That's real. That's the human experience. It doesn't mean it's analogous to one or a more things that are actually in the real world. When you make an institution and you name an evil corporation at the heart, let's say Doom, that doesn't mean that that corporation is a stand-in for Facebook or Microsoft or Google or what have you. It means an evil corporation was useful for your story. You may or may not be saying anything about the corporate form, capitalism or limited liability companies, depending on what the purpose of your game or story is. But this continues to get conflated in all of these articles, because for whatever reason, the word politics, the concept is important to these game outlets, which is why Ubisoft then went out with a second statement yesterday. The politics of Far Cry 6. Our story is political, okay? A story about a modern revolution must be. There are hard, relevant discussions in Far Cry 6 about the conditions that lead to the rise of fascism in a nation, the costs of imperialism, forced labor, the need for free and fair elections, LGBTQ plus rights, and more within the context of Yara, a fictional island in the Caribbean. My goal was to empower our team to be fearless in the story we were telling, and we worked incredibly hard to do this over the last five years. We also tried to be very careful about how we approached our inspirations, which include Cuba, but also other countries around the world that have experienced political revolutions in their histories. Now let's back up a step, right? 
Our story is political. When you are discussing institutions or culture or power grabs of any kind, that is by its nature a political story. But what this paragraph says is that they are trying not to have it equate to any specific political revolution while also talking about fundamental truths about what it means to rise up against a government, what that does to rights of both you and your colleagues, what happens in those kinds of situations, what elections mean, other things that they have here, including what conditions lead to the rise of fascism in a nation, right? And we talk a lot in virtual legality about my love for Star Wars, but here you see Senator Palpatine, soon to be Emperor Palpatine, as he says that he will give up his emergency powers when the crisis has abated, et cetera, et cetera. And you can take this, you can take everything from the prequels, which are obviously political. It's one of the things they tried to avoid really to their detriment with the Disney sequels. And they're political in that they set up a world with multiple institutions and different cultures and societies that interact. And I would argue one of the things the prequels tries to do and does well there's certainly a lot of things it doesn't do well, is try to establish under what circumstances a democracy would actually hand over its powers to a dictator and how that dictator would seize those powers and become an emperor. And we see those. We see that it is emergency powers that gives Emperor Palpatine that ability within the Star Wars universe. And you can equate those things to things in real life. You could say, oh, Emperor Palpatine clearly reminds me of Bush or Obama or Trump or Biden or those governors that made you wear masks or what have you. And there are all of these instances of applicability that doesn't make a Star Wars story in the prequels simple. It doesn't make it just say something to you that this should equate with that. And that doesn't make it not political, but it does make it not political with an exclamation point that you might see in some of these things. So when Ubisoft says, we want to talk about the conditions that lead to the rise of fascism in a nation, I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Now, if they wind up equating it very specifically one-to-one with other things in the real world, that takes you out of a story and that makes it a more difficult story to tell. We'll talk about that in just a second. They continue with their comment. I highly recommend checking it out like all messaging, but I wanted to finish off with their final paragraph. What players will find in Far Cry is a story that's point of view attempts to capture the political complexity of a modern present day revolution within a fictional context. We have attempted to tell a story with action, adventure, and heart, but that also isn't afraid to ask hard questions. Far Cry is a brand that in its DNA seeks to have mature, complex themes balanced with levity and humor. One doesn't exist without the other, and I don't know what that's a reference to out of those prior sentences, and we have attempted to achieve this balance with care. My only hope is that we are willing to let the story speak for itself first before forming hard opinions on its political reflections. This is entirely correct in terms of a stance for a narrative director or a writer or an author or a maker of anything else to have. Look, The story comes first. We wanted to make an action-adventure story with heart. We wanted to make a story that features, among other things, this adorable little dog with his adorable little handicap wheel thing, or that allows you to fire CDs at bad people that you want to fire at in Far Cry. First and foremost, we're about fun. We're making a game. We aren't actually trying to establish politics here. But, of course, when you make a story like this, it has political elements. We want to have levity, humor, adventure, heart. Let the story speak for itself 
before you start equating it to what it might mean for your experience or the real world. Yes, we're political because we're making a story about power dynamics, but no, we're not political in that you can't say this person is that person and this person is that person and this means that, and we aren't trying to do that. Now, we haven't played the game. Might they actually be trying to do that? Don't know the answer to that. But part of this video is establishing, for one, that Ubisoft is pretty smart about how it handles this issue with the games media in particular. They know when they go out with a quote like, oh, we aren't going to be political about Cuba. It's going to get misreported. It's going to get put in places like IGN. They know they can put a second post out like this one, kind of give ground, but really say the same thing again. And yet they will get treatment in places like Polygon and elsewhere that say he's Far Cry 6 writer. Yeah, our game is political and get both the kudos for that and also more coverage for their game. And as somebody that looks at these things as corporate messaging, trying to seek to get your message in front of eyeballs and to communicate with the people that are possessors of those eyeballs, that this is pretty brilliant from a video game company to get all this additional coverage by not saying anything that you haven't said before. But why is this such an issue? Why is this so important to people, games, media outlets, people online, culture warriors, whatever it might be? I think we have to take a step back again to talk about the disconnect between what people mean when they say these things. So as I used to do back in the days of my debate tournaments, where you start with a Merriam-Webster definition to really just prove that you've done your homework on these kinds of things, here's the definition of politics. As Merriam-Webster defines it, politics is one the art or science of government. Well, of course, right? Politics is about governments. It's what we think of first when we think about politics. And yes, Far Cry 6 is going to be saying something about governments. You are a guerrilla warrior trying to overthrow uh, a government that you don't like in, in not Cuba, in Yara. And so you're going to go do this. You're going to be talking about the art of government. And yet that's not really what people mean. The definition number three Political affairs or business, competition between competing interest groups or individuals for power and leadership. That's what we were talking about earlier in this video, right? Politics as defined as essentially power dynamics. Whenever there's a group, whenever there's power at play and you're working around who's going to get that power, how it's going to be used, that is politics in some kind of real sense, but it's not real in the sense of talking about Republicans and Democrats and Trump and Biden or whoever right? And then we get to definition five, where we really lose control of the narrative. Five, the total complex of relations between people living in society. Okay, well, fine. Throw your hands up. If you're telling a story, then your story is political if you're using definition five, because you're talking about people primarily that are going to have relations between each other of some kind. You're going to have groups doing something. Whether or not you're making a fantasy with guilds or a science fiction thing about corporations, you're going to have relations between people living in a society. So at its heart, every story is political. So that doesn't seem to answer our question. Why is there this disconnect? Why does Ubisoft want to say they're not political, but they are? Why does media want them to admit that they're political when it's self-evident that every story is political? And I think the answer to that is actually found in a different word, which you probably caught in the thumbnail to this video. And that word is allegory. If we go and we look up Wikipedia entry for allegory, they did a pretty good job summarizing the concept. Allegory is a literary device, a narrative in which a character, place, or event is used to deliver a broader message about real world issues and occurrences. Authors have used allegory throughout history in all forms of art 
to illustrate or convey complex ideas and concepts in ways that are comprehensible or striking to viewers, readers, or listeners. Writers and speakers typically use allegories to convey hidden or complex meanings through symbolic figures, actions, imagery, or events, which together create the moral, spiritual, or political meaning the author wishes to convey. Many allegories use personification of abstract concepts. They used to. We're talking about classical allegory when we get to the end of that definition. You don't need to have the personification of death to have an allegory. You just have to have a story that you as the author intends to deliver a message about real world issues or occurrences. If you want to talk about a real world conflict in the Middle East, you could frame that conflict by using fictional parties that were pretty obvious to most readers, viewers, or listeners and tell the story that you want to tell, convey what you want to convey. Now, if you're too on the nose and you're just message telling, we tend to call that propaganda, which is a common refrain when you hear these stories like video games talked about as why aren't you delivering a message? Why aren't you focused on colonialism, anti-colonialism, racism, rights, whatever it might be in a video game context. The thing that you always want to avoid when telling a story is that you just become that message. You just become that propaganda. And I think that tension, that push and pull between those two fronts has really created a problem for storytellers. And it's a problem that we can see writ large in an article that GameSpot put up this past week called Mass Effect has a big disdain for democracy. Now, there are a couple things happening with Mass Effect. If you aren't familiar with the series, it's a science fiction RPG from BioWare, and it was released in the mid-2000s. Now, a new trilogy that has 60 frames per second looks really nice. I highly recommend it if you're interested in the story at all. Uh, came out from Electronic Arts this past month, and so with that release, a lot of people have been reflecting on it. Now, we're going to talk about the substance of this article and not just what it means for storytelling because I think they get a lot wrong here. But the point is, is that these games are now stuck in this kind of limbo gray area where you do have people that are trying to dive deep and figure out what the allegory of the story is, what its message is, even if a message wasn't intended. And that, I think, really takes away from the storyteller's ability to tell a good story that focuses on friction and conflict and growth. Because if they always have to be looking over their shoulder as to what somebody someday might interpret this particular friction point to mean, or this particular bit of growth to mean, it means that you get this wildly defensive storytelling. And I really think that talking about this article from Mass Effect and from GameSpot is going to help establish what I mean by that. So... Looking at the subheading, for a game that wants to be about friendship and diversity, everybody's an idiot except Shepard in the original Mass Effect, and it feels bad. Nobody likes Yudina. It's pretty clear that even when he's working on your side, the human ambassador to Mass Effect's Citadel Council is kind of a piece of expletive. At one point, Shepard chides him for caring more about the political gains of a mission to save a bunch of human colonists than the lives that mission actually protected. This career bureaucrat might work for humanity's best interest at times, but he's also a transactional ambitious climber who at least has a secondary goal of advancing his own influence. He only gets worse as time goes on. So if you haven't played Mass Effect, Ambassador Udina is essentially what is described here. He is a social climber, a bureaucrat that wants to be on the Citadel Council, the main galactic force 
uh, behind law amongst all of these various civilizations, and he's constantly trying to better himself. He's a little bit uh, like some of the things you might have seen in the in the British or I think Netflix series House of Cards uh, or other instances where you've got a government official that's trying to gain power, and how he does it is not terribly helpful to your main character. He's intended to be a friction point, but the question is, is, is that a bad thing? Yes, he's intended to be a friction point. He's an ambassador to humanity in the Citadel Council. But as the person that you are in Mass Effect, which is a specter agent, essentially a James Bond type figure with a license to kill and do whatever they like, is this a bad thing? You want to have friction from somewhere. And Udina is a pretty good character to have that. You might be interested just from that paragraph in what he does and how he interacts uh, with your character. And, and that's really the point of stories is having these conflict points, figuring out how you grow uh, from there and what the story does with those situations. Unfortunately, what you've got here is you've got an author decade plus after the fact suggesting that the fact that Udina is an ambitious climber and bureaucrat that gets in your way and that this is a pattern with Mass Effect is suggestive of a generalized disdain for democracy. Now, substantively, that's got its own problems because Udina is an ambassador. Presumably, we don't get a lot of insight on this. He is not an elected official. He's an appointed one by some official back on Earth. And like a lot of this stuff, what we're talking about is appointed officials. Bureaucrats are not elected officials in general. And that don't equate with democracy. They do equate with government. And that's a conflation that happens in a lot of these articles. But it's... it's pretty emblematic of the problem with trying to make an allegory out of something that was intended as a space opera and adventure story in the first place. And one of the problems I think that stories really get into. Or as I said in a thread that I put out that same day that this article was released, this piece is wrong in that it completely misses the distinction between society and government, not to mention in treating a bureaucracy's unelected officials as emblematic of democracy itself. That said, it's a common erroneous conflation and one I may discuss further. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know when I say I may discuss something further, well, I tend to make a big long thread about these things. We'll come back to this in just a minute. It's not just Udina that nobody likes, though. Despite providing Shepard with the unlimited power and near total lack of accountability of the Spectres, the Citadel Council, a seemingly semi-democratic body comprising the galaxy's most influential races, are largely an impediment to you getting the job done. So Mass Effect is a story. It's a story that's built. It's got world building. It's built by storytellers that want to tell your specific story. They created the Citadel Council in order to serve as some kind of functional friction point for your character. Now, substantively, again, this author gets a bit wrong here. They aren't a democratic body, at least not as described in the Mass Effect universe that I'm familiar with. They are just like Udina himself, who can make it onto the council in various forms of the video game, and not necessarily your form, so I don't consider it a spoiler, that they are appointed and they make it up there, and it's not really a democratic body at all. It's just a government body, one could even argue, mildly despotic in how it treats various races around the galaxy and refuses to sit them in the Citadel, etc. But here the author conflates government with democracy, once again. Playing Mass Effect today, it's been surprising just how much disdain the game seems to show for the idea of civilian government, institutions, and rules in general. Hmm. Put a pin in that. Scrolling a little bit further, we see, spend any time with fan favorite character Garrus and you get a huge dose of these anti-government, anti-democratic feelings. Again, government, democracy, not in equal measure here. And even without all these other character moments, it's impossible to overlook that Shepard is basically Jack Bauer 
the terrorist fighter who occasionally employs torture in the TV show 24 in space. If you aren't familiar with 24, it's getting a little long in the tooth now. Jack Bauer, played by Kiefer Sutherland, was in fact a fighter of terrorists who very often went over the line and reflected upon whether or not that was a good idea or not. And certainly stories can have their own opinion as to whether it makes sense for somebody to go over the line. I would argue that 24 actually depicts a pretty high personal cost uh, as well as a nationwide cost on what Jack Bauer does and what the government approved of him doing in that story. Mass Effect's treatment of everyone who's not military or in agreement with you makes those ideas about diversity and joining together and rising up uh, as a people disingenuous because as much as it seems to care about unity and diversity, it doesn't express any trust in other people. And in the era of QAnon, the U.S. Capitol riot, and ongoing lies about the rigging of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, Shepard's side feels like the wrong side to be on. Now, other than dragging in all the rest of this stuff into the end here, the last bit of substance that I wanted to talk about here is not just the conflation between government and democracy when they aren't at all equal. We can see that ourselves in a lot of governments around the world right now. It's this notion that Mass Effect, which is essentially creating a crew of different aliens and characters to go save the universe, doesn't express trust in other people. It 100% does. Or as I said in my thread, specifically, Mass Effect has a great deal of faith in people, or more specifically individuals, because it's not just human beings. It does not have really any faith in collective action or institutions, including the military. It's a very 1980s media approach to the question. Think Ghostbusters and the EPA. If you aren't familiar with Ghostbusters, get familiar with it. One of the best comedies of all time. But in that film, an environmental protection agency agent demands that the Ghostbusters release all the ghosts into New York City. Causes all sorts of trouble. And Ghostbusters is a comedy. Uh, Really, much like Far Cry is a comedy, regardless of what Ubisoft winds up saying in their various messages. And he is presented as the red block, the red tape that you have to get by if you are Bill Murray and the Ghostbusters. He creates all these problems. He vaults the story into the third act where all these ghosts are let loose in New York City. And yet, That isn't really a political statement as we would think of it. It's not really a statement about the efficacy of the EPA because the EPA doesn't really deal with ghosts all too often. It is a commentary on this specific person acting as a bureaucrat and how they follow the rules to such a degree that they can't adjust when something unexpected happens in front of them. You don't have to agree with that as a concept, but you also don't have to agree with it as a message at all. This particular person pops into the story, unleashes the ghosts, and pops out just as quickly in order to create that inciting event. I would be hard-pressed to convince you that Ghostbusters has anything really strong to say about the EPA, even though it takes place in the 1980s where things like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and rest of the John Hughes comedies, really, and Ghostbusters all had a generalized discomfort slash disdain with authority and institutions. That doesn't mean that you're trying to establish something about the institutions in the real world, something I would like to bring up with a show that I'm also watching called Person of Interest. If you aren't familiar with Person of Interest, this is a show like Quantum Leap or Early Edition uh, in which the guy from Lost tells the guy from that uh, Jesus Christ movie about somebody that's going to die in New York and they try to go save him. But at the heart of this story is actually a wildly distrustful take on institutions. I joke, I've been watching it with my father right now. I joke about how every single institution of any kind, CIA, NSA, FBI, New York police, 
any institution in uh, person of interest is corrupt, taken over, out for its own interest. And that makes the story work. You're reacting to that world in that story of person of interest. And you put that aside. You say, okay, in this world, every single institution is corrupt. And you accept that for the story to be told. It doesn't, in my opinion, mean that every single institution is corrupt is the message that person of interest is trying to go out there with. It means that it's useful for the story they want to tell which is what I wind up saying in this thread. So the article is wrong on its premises and from there wrong on its argument and conclusions. But one interesting question is why? As Game Over 30, somebody I follow on Twitter, highly recommended, points out there is a common thread in most media that your protagonist has to have agency. You want to be doing things. You don't want to be passive. As they are only one individual, that usually means the institutions at play in a given story have to be incapable in some respect of dealing with the situation. If Holden and the Rocinante can't handle the problem. We can't just have a story where you have to get let Mars and Earth figure it out. You want to have agents. You want to have protagonists. That's an Expanse reference, by the way. So it's not an unusual state of affairs. In the 80s, this was most often seen in stories of government incompetence. That's what they focused on. This then graduated or shared space with corporate incompetence or incompetence of religious institutions. You, when you're describing a story, often need a large body to go against, to be incompetent, to fail to see what your hero can see. But one thing that appears to have changed is that from a certain media's perspective, gaming media in this particular description, having any incompetent government representation in a story is an attack on the concept of government, or more often, as listed here on the GameSpot article, democracy itself. That is not the case. Like all institutions, government is made up of human beings. It's something we talk about here in virtual legality all the time. You can think human beings can make a lot of right decisions. You can think Microsoft has billions and trillions of dollars and they should be able to do data analytics to figure things out and make everything work. And yet Google still tosses half of their products in the bin. Microsoft makes all sorts of mistakes. Governments make tons of mistakes. And that isn't to disparage any of those bodies. They are composed of human beings and human beings make mistakes. Some are great, some are not. In a story interacting with a government, it often makes sense to have a government official like, oh, a galactic ambassador serve as a point of external conflict. But that doesn't necessitate a reading that the story itself believes anything in particular about ambassadors, simply that the authors believe that this story was best served by providing friction in that role. Ghostbusters, as we just said, doesn't really care about the EPA, which leads us all the way back to the point I wanted to make as part of this video, story versus sermon politics versus politics. When folks complain about politics in games or movies or media, at least some aren't just doing it because they'd prefer their politics. One of the common things you see as a defense is, oh, you wouldn't mind this if it sided with your side in the real world. That's not true. But instead, because they believe that story comes first. If the story would be best served by having a social climbing ambassador or a blind EPA agent, then the story should have that included outside readings be damned. The alternative is to water down storytelling for how it might be perceived, a problem we often see today. And I think we do see it today. If you go and you look at the difference between Senator Palpatine here declaring himself emperor and Finn and Rose in Canto Bight in The Last Jedi talking about how capitalism is bad out of nowhere and doing all these random political statements and things to express a viewpoint that is separate from the Star Wars universe solely so that the author, in that case, Ryan Johnson, can express that viewpoint. That is wildly different. This is politics. 
This is politics. Similarly, Marvel and their cinematic universe, you look at something like Captain America Civil War, you get some excellent political concepts. You get, should these folks have to be forced to sign something because the nations of the world would see them sign it? Is it okay because they have superpowers to have these nations require something of them? Or is that in fact a delegation of their rights to these nations that they shouldn't have to do? That's an interesting concept. But at the end of the day, Captain America Civil War is still fundamentally about superheroes fighting about things and Zemo and clones and super soldiers or whatever the heck he's fighting about in that particular movie. You compare that to Falcon and the Winter Soldier that doesn't really have a core story that it's trying to tell with the terrorist groups that Captain America here has put down and ends with a five-minute sermon politics to senators about how terrorists should be treated or the fact that you shouldn't call them terrorists because you, Mr. Politician, have done something wrong in establishing what you should do right. That's a sermon versus a story. And look, you can like your sermons. You can agree with Captain America here. I don't mind that. You can agree with Rose and Finn here. I don't mind that. But it takes away from telling a useful, interesting story within your universe in order to take a side journey, at minimum, to make a political statement. And to me, that's really the worst thing about all of this is in order to make sure that you're signaling the right way or that your authorship will be read the right way by those people that come after you, you've taken these steps to make sure that your story is subrogated to this need to tell something that serves a political purpose. And that to me is a big problem that I think we see today. Now is Mass Effect or Ghostbusters? as important as real world problem X? Perhaps not obviously so, but storytelling as an art form itself absolutely is. It's another avenue for human beings to feel and to connect and one of our most important. You've probably heard me say this a hundred times now, but I love stories. I love narrative. Honestly, I'm in video games primarily because games way back when, whether it was Final Fantasy or Final Fantasy IV or, you know, Final Fantasy VI, really the Final Fantasies, convinced me that you could tell an impactful, emotional, interesting story with these little tiny sprite characters. And if you could do that, then you could do anything with storytelling. And that's something worth saving. And yeah, can you read Final Fantasy VI and Kefka's Assault on the World as something that could be applicable to 9-11? I, I don't know. Maybe somebody has tried. Direct me to that essay in the comments to this video. But it wasn't designed specifically for that purpose, even while the Final Fantasies in general do have overall things to say, right? If you play Final Fantasy VII, it's clear as day that they want to talk about environmentalism and corporations in general, but they don't want to talk about this specific corporation or fracking or whatever might be the problem at that specific moment in time. They want to talk to you about the human experience and in general, what these institutions can do and what we can mean to each other. Or as I finish off here, I'd much rather have great storytellers using their skills to try to tell great stories than looking over their shoulders at whether or not characterizing an ambassador or EPA agent in one way will be viewed as an attack on democracy. Or as a much, much, much better author than I once said, I cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and always have done so since I grew old and wary enough to detect its presence. I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied applicability to the thought and experience of readers. I think that many confuse applicability with allegory, but the one resides in the freedom of the reader and the other in the proposed domination of the author. 
Allegory tells you what you should believe. Applicability gives you a concept, true or feigned, and lets you choose how you think it applies to your own lived experience. Thank you for checking out this episode of Virtual Legality. I didn't put up my cards here, but we do have a Patreon. We do have Streamlabs. We have a store that you can check out. Or please just subscribe and tell your friends we're here. Tell YouTube that we're here. Leave comments. Do everything you can for the algorithm. I appreciate every little bit of it. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.